If you have a Bible, you can open to Hosea's prophecy, the very end of it, chapter 14, verses 4 through 8, we'll look at this morning, and uh, the text is also printed in the next picture bulletin, which might be especially helpful for those trying to find Hosea who are not familiar with it. <clears throat> We're talking about some common um, Christmas traditions uh, this Advent season, the four weeks leading up to Christmas time, considered Advent. Um, and we're, we're taking a look at some traditions and uh, the gospel themes that are indicated by these traditions or that uh, these, these traditions highlight for us or symbolic of. Traditions uh, often employ symbols, symbols that need interpretation. Enjoying a symbol for what it is is probably well and good, but usually a symbol points to something else and it needs interpretation and you need to consider it. Uh, for example, uh, Christian tr- traditions often include Christmas trees, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. Christmas trees, uh, trees are good. They're good just in and of themselves because God made them and he said, it's good. Uh, and, and we can enjoy them just for being trees. But so often, so often the Bible sees trees as symbols and as metaphors and that's how we've used them in our Christmas traditions. Uh, that's how that all got started off. Anyway, uh, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, we don't just bring trees into the house because they look pretty and smell nice and last longer than a bouquet of flowers that you bring into the house, um, more readily available in the winter time. These things are all true. They're pretty and they smell nice and they last a while. So those are all true, but we bring trees into the house and we decorate them because of what their beauty symbolizes, because of what their fragrance symbolizes, because of what their, their longevity symbolizes. And in order for the symbol to do its job as a symbol, uh, it needs some interpretation. You need to think about it. And so we should think about what Christmas trees mean. When you look in the scriptures, you don't find this tradition emerging explicitly from the scriptures. You don't exactly find mention of Christmas trees per se, but there's a veritable forest of trees to be found in the Bible and so much spiritual meaning and wisdom that's communicated by them. And the great uh, King Solomon, David's great son, the king of Israel, uh, Solomon, he understood this. So when the Bible describes his wisdom, which is unsurpassed in all the world, the greatest wisdom, in 1 Kings chapter 4, it says that He spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and we have a lot of those written down for us in the book of Proverbs. His songs were 1,005. I mean, it's prolific. And he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon. Lebanon, ancient world, was famous for its forests of cedar. To the hyssop that grows out of the wall, King Solomon spoke of trees. It doesn't just mean King Solomon had an interest in botany, that he went to school for that or something. It means that he saw in this good creation of God, trees in particular, worth mentioning, it means he saw in this good creation of God ways of talking about spiritual truth, ways of talking about spiritual wisdom. He knew the meaning of trees. As God has given it to us, trees mean something. And he knew the meaning of trees as symbols for our life with God, for our relationship with God. So let's talk about trees. Uh, Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. 
Father, we always need your help when we come to your word uh, now, and every time we open it, every time we consider it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, make us not only aware of our need for your help, but also give us the help that we need to be able to see you, to perceive you, to trust you, and to follow you as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Trees are on the first page of the Bible, they're on the last page of the Bible, uh, they're everywhere in between. Um, uh, <clears throat> Annie's Daniel sent me a uh, uh, link to an article in Christianity Today that he'd read a few months ago, and I wish that he'd sent it to me like a day before because I'd already done all this research on trees in the Bible, <laughs> and this article did it all for me, and you should go look it up if you can find it. Uh, I'm not sure which uh, uh, month it came out, but in Christianity Today, what Trees Teach Us About Life, Death, and Resurrection by Matthew Sleeth. And he says that other than God and people, trees are the most mentioned living thing in the Bible. Nearly a third of the sentences of the first three chapters of Genesis contain a tree. But you didn't know that. You weren't aware of that. Uh, but it's true. God made trees, and he gave them to us for food. It says right there in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, he made them and he gave them to us for food. And when God planted the garden in Eden, Genesis chapter 2, it says out of the ground he made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good, of good and evil. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it so his life was intertwined with these trees. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So immediately in the Scriptures, you open it and you start reading it for the first time, you see that trees are essential to the life of humanity. Firstly, because God gave them to us for our enjoyment and for our sustenance. They're just a huge part of this world and our life in this world, physically speaking. Very simply, God gave them to us for our enjoyment and for our sustenance. All of the trees. I don't know how many species of trees there are, but all of them. All of them he gave to us, except only one. All of them, though. Think of the abundance. Think of the generosity. The creativity and then the gift But trees are also essential here in the beginning of Scriptures because God gave them to us sacramentally. 
And that, that basically, I know that's a hard word for us to wrap our minds around, but he gave them to us to represent our relationship with God, that, that we would live out our relationship with God, we would live it out um, with these trees, in and, in and through the trees, right, as we interact with these trees. So one tree, God gives us, he says, one tree means life to us. And that, that means life with God. That's what that means, relationship with God. And the other tree means death. It means separation from God. That's what death means in the scriptures. And the trees mean this because God declared that meaning to us. Maybe not self-evident in the trees themselves, but because God said, you can have all these trees, don't have this one tree. Now we know that there's meaning. Right? We know that there's meaning because God declared it to us. It isn't just that the trees were magical in and of themselves, that if you eat the fruit of this one, it just makes you live forever. Or the fruit of that one was poisoned, it was bad, you don't want to eat that, it'll kill you. That's not the way that the scriptures explain this. It was that God, by his word, by his word he gave, by his word he withheld. And so our eating from those trees, it wasn't just an interaction with the fruit of the trees. It wasn't just an interaction with the trees in and of themselves. Our eating of those trees was how we responded to God. It's how we responded to His Word. It was how we lived out our relationship with God. So when God says yes to something, then you should say yes to that same thing. From the bottom of your heart, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When God says yes to something, you should say yes to that thing. When God says no to something, that should resonate deeply with you, and you should also say no to that thing. And if you don't, then you're saying no to God. Saying no to God, not just trees. You're saying no to God, and that's the definition of death. It breaks your relationship with God. So rather than continue on in thanksgiving for all of God's abundant generosity to us, we violated his word, therefore we violated our relationship to him. It says actually that we were grasping for wisdom according to our own understanding of what what seemed good for wisdom. We were grasping for that, but that was folly because we went against God. We went against his word. For our part in the relationship then, we apostatized, and that means standing against. We stood against God. We chose death. Instead of life with God, we chose death. We chose death by tree. Death by tree, that's how death entered into the world. We chose it. But by God's grace, the story didn't end just there. We've got a much longer Bible than just three chapters of Genesis. Even though we had chosen death, death by tree, in our rebellion, in our apostasy, our standing against God. God made the way for our resurrection. That's the whole story of the scriptures, resurrection and restoration and reconciliation and renewal. And all along the way, in this story, we see trees. We see trees come back into the story of our salvation over and over again. Uh, There's Way more than 200 references to, to trees in the scriptures. I looked up most of them. <clears throat> Abraham planted an evergreen tree. You know, evergreen is the kind that it doesn't lose its leaves, or it's always got leaves on it, even in the wintertime. Right? 
It lives forever. That's the picture of it. It's always alive. Abraham planted an evergreen tree as a memorial to the everlasting God. That connection is made explicitly in Genesis. In Proverbs chapter 3, wisdom is likened to a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. In Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 and maybe some other places, the, the blessed man is likened to a strong, well-planted, well-watered, fruitful tree. And the prophets, each man having his own fig tree is a symbol of prosperity. And when neighbors hang out together under their fig trees, it's a symbol of peace. And in biblical poetry, trees, trees clap their hands and they praise God. And it symbolizes God's people doing that, along with the rest of his creation. And some, some trees can be cut down. In the scriptures, you see this over and over again. Some trees are cut down and it looks like it's totally dead. There's nothing there anymore. But then they send up shoots again. It's like new life, resurrection. And the seeds of trees, the seeds of trees that are in their fruit, they fall to the ground. And Jesus says that they fall to the ground and die and they're in the dirt. And then comes new life. Again, that picture of death and resurrection that are given to us through trees. Trees are given for shade and for shelter. You see that in our passage where God likens, likens himself to a tree and it says, that they're going to dwell beneath my shadow. He's this mighty evergreen tree that provides shade from the heat. So they're given for shade and shelter. Your, your home is made out of trees. Cut down, milled, rearranged trees, but you live in trees. Solomon built the inside of the temple, the house of the Lord, out of cedar and olive wood. You know, the outside is all stone, but inside you couldn't see any stone because it was all covered, all overlaid with beautiful wood from cedar and olive trees and all these carved pictures of more trees, palm trees, on the doors and other places. So, <clears throat> In Deuteronomy 21, here's a big one. Someone hanged on a tree is cursed by God. That doesn't mean if you've got like a Santa ornament hanging on your tree, that's like bad news for Santa or something. It's someone who's hanged on a tree is cursed by God. It means death by tree, which entered the picture in Genesis chapter 3. Death by tree continues to be a theme in the Bible, and it's connected to our relationship with God. It symbolizes our relationship with God. If someone's hanged on a tree, he's cursed by God. The Bible talks a lot about trees, but let's focus on what the trees mean in our passage uh, from Hosea. Hosea's prophecy, uh, maybe you're not super familiar with it. Uh, go read it, if, I guess, if you're over 21. Um, you can handle some of what the Bible has to say, uh, some hard stuff. But it, it's, it's full of pretty hard truth. And you may not consider it safe for your whole family, but God describes the sins of his people as terrible personal violations. Things that are really probably unspeakable in a lot of our homes. Uh, our, our, our relationship with him has been violated, and it, it can't be violated in a deeper, more personal way. And it's deserving of his strong anger. But God also describes his absolutely faithful love 
absolutely faithful. Because he is who he is, in spite of you being who you are, you're loved by this God. So God promises, in our passage, God promises to, to, to mend the relationship, mend the broken relationship. And what he's promising it actually includes mending your part of the relationship. He's going to mend your part of the broken relationship. He says in verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. So he doesn't just say, I will forgive their apostasy. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I'll make it so that they're no longer apostate. He says, you have chosen death. You've chosen it. I'll fix that choice. So that you'll choose life instead. You'll choose me instead. You have hated me. I'll fix that so that you love me. You have floundered in your rebellion against me. You've stood against me. I'll fix that, and I'll make you flourish in your relationship with me. So we're called to repent everywhere in the Scriptures. We're called to stop our rebellion against God, to turn away from our sin, to turn back to God. We're called to do that. But we can't heal our own apostasy. We can't fix what's wrong with our humanity as it stands against God. We can't fix that problem. But by His grace, God does that for us. He mends the relationship. And He mends our part in the relationship. And He's done this. He promised to do it here in uh, Hosea 14, verse 4. And many other places in the Old Testament, leading up to Jesus, he's done it in the person of our Savior, Jesus. Because God came into the world, and he came as a human being. He came as one of us. And he did that so that he could mend our part in the relationship, so that he could could live the human life in relationship to God. He could live that rightly, and he could mend our relationship to God in himself. Fix the human part of it. He took our broken humanity, our apostate humanity, the humanity that was set against God and chose against God, and he fixed it by turning it back to God in his own life. In his own life with God, he did that because of the incarnation of the Son of God. When the Son of God became a human being, became flesh, incarnated, which we celebrate at Christmas, at Christmas time, our, our apostasy has been healed. Just like God promised long ago, I'm going to heal it, he's done it, because humanity has repented. Humanity has chosen God. Humanity has chosen love. Humanity has chosen life with God in Jesus Christ as he did these things for us, as one of us, in our place, the substitute that we need. And in order to mend the relationship completely, in order to heal the breach of our apostasy, all the violations that we've committed against God, and we continue to commit every time we sin, to heal all of that breach, 
Jesus secured our forgiveness as he suffered what we deserved under, under God's wrath in our place. He suffered it in our place so we wouldn't have to. God loved us. He sent his beloved son to live for us, to restore our humanity in his life, and also to die for the forgiveness of our sins so that his righteous anger would be turned away from us so that he could love us and give himself to us freely. We had freely chosen death by tree. In our sin against God, Jesus Christ freely chose death by tree in his righteousness, in his submission to God, in his love for us, to redeem us, in order to heal our relationship and reconcile us to God. So the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was hanged on a tree to take the curse that we deserved. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve the curse, but he bore our sins on the tree when Jesus was nailed on the wood, the record of our debt was nailed up on the wood, and all accounts were settled. That's the way Paul talks about it in Colossians chapter 2. So when Jesus died on the tree, then our sins were gone. That means that the effect that they have on our relationship with God, the, the, the brokenness, the separation in our relationship from God, that was gone when Jesus hung on the tree. He did that in order to grant to us all the spiritual blessings that he deserves that belong to him as the perfect human being in relationship with God. All the spiritual blessings that were coming to him, he put them on us. Eternal life with God. And all the fruit of the Holy Spirit's life living in us. God's life living in us. So Jesus took our choice of death by tree... And because of who he is, he made it for us life by tree. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. God's the only one who could do this. We can't do it for ourselves, no matter how hard you try or think you're trying. Only God could do it. He promised to do it, and he did it in Jesus Christ. And the result is our restoration. It's our renewal. It's our flourishing in relationship with him. That's the thing that really matters, our relationship with God and the way that that changes our lives. And God describes this spiritual restoration. Then he goes on right now in Hosea chapter 14. He describes it in botanical terms. He says, I'll be like the dew to Israel. Dew is, is like the only source, uh, source of moisture in, uh, in desert places. Right? There's not much rain falling out of the sky, not many streams. Boy, a stream is precious, or a deep well is precious. But on a regular basis, any plants that are growing, uh, especially delicate things like flowers, they need dew. God's going to be the source of life. And he, Israel, God's people, he shall blossom like the lily. It's a pretty delicate flower to, to survive in desert places. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. Again, the picture of God being this mighty tree. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall 
blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? God's saying, I'm no false god making false promises to you that you turn to for life, but you're really turning to for death. I'm no false god. It is I who answer and look after you. I take interest in you. I care for you. And I take care of you. I'm like an evergreen cypress. And from me comes your fruit. So your life becomes like one of these. These botanical images are beautiful, uh, wonderful. uh, Evergreen trees. These evergreen trees that are always vibrant. Always full of life. Beautiful like the olive. Fragrant like the cedar, like a forest full of cedar. And it becomes so because God is the great evergreen. He's the beautiful one. And he's the fragrant one. He's the wonderful one. And you live in him through faith in Jesus Christ. When you flourish in your life with God, it comes from him. It all comes from him. From his life in you. From his vitality in you. From his Holy Spirit. Bringing forth his fruit in your life. Jesus talks about that in John 15. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, whoever lives in me, makes his home in me, dwells in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So it doesn't matter what your particular brand of apostasy has been, the way that you are prone to stand against God in in rebellion and in sin. It doesn't matter. Through faith in Jesus Christ, as you live in relationship with him, as you abide in Christ through faith and he abides in you, his Holy Spirit lives in you, with his Spirit dwelling in you, you will bear the fruit that comes from Jesus. You'll bear Jesus' own fruit. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul explains what this looks like. He gives us a great list for us to consider. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not just being a good person, doing the right things. It's love interpersonal with God and with other people. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, maybe it's hard for you to believe that you could bear fruit like this. Jesus bears all this fruit. And when he lives in you, this is the kind of fruit you can bear. And Maybe that's hard for you to believe. Maybe you're a crusty old adult set in your ways in the fall or winter of your life. And you couldn't possibly imagine blossoming with fruit like joy and kindness. Maybe you're just a little kid. Little kids, listen up. This is for you. Maybe you're just a little kid bursting at the seams with limitless energy. You can't slow down enough to to even think about what it means to be patient or have self-control. Or consider others, others out of the sake of love. Maybe you're bitter. You can't conceive of a life of love. Maybe you're harsh. And you can't imagine becoming gentle. Yeah, in and of yourself, you'd be right. You can't grow fruit like this. Apart from God. Apart from your relationship with God. Apart from abiding in Jesus Christ. You can't. A few hundred years ago, when the German Lutherans um, started decorating Christmas trees... They do Christmas right in Germany. Um, They put apples on the trees. They hung up apples 
on the trees. They hung up other things, paper, roses, candies, uh, sweetmeats, communion wafers. They just put everything on the tree. <clears throat> uh, those, those apples were eventually replaced with shiny red balls. A lot of us use those. We don't hang apples, probably, our trees. Uh, but the red balls, right? That's what they symbolize. And it might seem strange to you, the idea of these evergreen trees bearing fruit like apples, because you don't see fruit on our big evergreens around here. There are plenty of evergreen trees that do bear fruit. That's not what comes to mind. Adorning a dug fir with apples actually makes the point perfectly. It makes the point perfectly. The spiritual fruit that we bear doesn't belong to us by nature. It's not normal. You might think, oh, it's, it's going to be impossible for me to bear spiritual fruit like the list here in Galatians 5. Yeah, it's not normal. It's not natural to you as a sinner, apart from God. It's something supernatural. It's something foreign to us. The fruit of the Spirit Especially love. Love sort of encompasses all these things. The fruit of the Spirit is foreign to us as sinners. We only bear it through faith in Jesus Christ as a gift of His grace. He's the one that decorates the tree. This fruit comes from God. That's what He says. From me comes your fruit. He says it everywhere in the Scriptures. From me comes your fruit. The one who trusts in God's Son, the one who has the Spirit of God's Son, and therefore relates to God as his Father, you'll become like God's Son, Jesus. That's pretty different from the way that we are in and of ourselves. From God comes this fruit. So C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. God says our lives can become like these vigorous, beautiful, fragrant, fruit-bearing, evergreen, magnificent trees because this is what He is like and He is alive in us and we're alive in Him forever. Everlasting life. In Jesus Christ. So, so decorate your Christmas trees. Remember all the trees of the Bible. Do a study on them if you want to. Remember especially the tree on which Christ came into the world to die. That tree of death that became a tree of life for us because of Jesus. Remember God promising evergreen, everlasting life to people who trust in Christ's name. Remember the Holy Spirit making you flourish and bear his good fruit by his grace. Abide in Jesus Christ, who heals your rebellion, who forgives your sins, and be decorated with the fruit of his spirit. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as we come to you, um, we do appreciate the gift of trees, the trees you've created, the trees you've given to us, the trees you've spoken of in your scriptures the tree of life that's held before us through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, yourself especially likened to a great tree that fulfills all of our needs for this life and the next. You're gracious, you're merciful, you are generous to people like us. 
We're thankful for all the reminders of your generosity, your faithfulness, your love, the fruit of your spirit that are available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that uh, through the season, we'd remember Christ, remember your spirit, remember the fruit of the spirit that, that we can bear in our lives, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. You're the one that uh, redeems us and renews us. You, you fix our humanity. And you've given us uh, this, this relationship with yourself that will last forever as a gift. And you're making all things new, including us in our lives and our humanity. We thank you for this gift of your grace. We pray that you make us ever mindful of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.